Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website. Everyone in the world has gone to bed one night or another with fear or pain or loss or disappointment. And yet each of us has awakened, arisen. There is the nobleness of the human spirit. Despite it all, black and white, Asian, Spanish, Native American, pretty, plain, thin, fat, vowed or celibate, we rise. Beth AQ, it is a pleasure to have your company this afternoon. I acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen, unceded lands of the Wandry people of the Kulin Nation, who have cared for this land since time immemorial. And I acknowledge First Nations people as the first storytellers of this land and also acknowledge the importance of oral storytelling in many First Nations cultures in this country and around the world I pay my respect to elders past and present, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Coming up today on the show, in about 10 minutes, I'm going to be joined by award-winning writer and novelist Mirandi Ruo. You might know her work from her Stella Prize shortlisted novella, The Fish Girl, but this year she has released Stone Sky, a Gold Mountain, and it's a book that is set in the 1870s North Queensland Gold Rush era, and a book that explores uh, early colonisation from the perspective um, of the three main characters, two siblings, Ying and La Yue, and a young white woman, Mariam. Very excited to be chatting to her all about that, and a little bit later on in the program. I'll be joined by the hosts of the new season of the Braided podcast. And if you don't know Braided, it is a podcast that threads together intimate, challenging and triumphant stories of a group of young people from diverse cultural backgrounds who are living with difficult life circumstances. It is a podcast that really weaves a vivid tapestry of lives rarely glimpsed. It's an initiative from the Artful Dodger studio 
in Collingwood, and Agul Maloch and Matisse Lider, the hosts uh, and creators, two of the creators, will be joining to discuss the six-part series, um, which really explores uh, life during lockdown. It is uh, a pretty incredible time capsule for this moment that we're currently living in, so I'm very much looking forward to being joined by them. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Mirandi Rouwo is an award-winning author. Her novella, The Fish Girl, won Seizures Viva La Novella Prize and was shortlisted for the Stella Prize and the Queensland Literary Awards Fiction Prize. Her new novel is called Stone Sky Gold Mountain and it's a story that takes place in 1870s North Queensland. It's a look at the Gold Rush era, predominantly told through the perspective of Chinese settlers. Uh, It's a book about identity, uh, about resilience and about belonging and Mirandi joins me to speak about it now. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a real pleasure. I'm, I'm very excited to, to chat more about this book. I, I suppose to begin with, um, for people that haven't read it, can you give us a, an idea of the plot? Oh, okay. So it's set in the 1870s in the gold rush in North Queensland, which is a bit later than the Victorian one. And um, so it features, at the time, there was something like 20,000 Chinese came in to, to dig for gold in the area. Um, so I'm writing, so my story is about um, siblings, a sister and a brother who come here as part of that group. And um, one other woman, Miriam, who's um, sort of from, she's from a white sort of Irish-English background. Mm. So the three of them meet up in Maytown. And you really explore, I suppose, a time in this country's history, the end of the 19th century, that I think, you know, is predominantly told by the white settler narrative. And this book kind of conveys this experience, predominantly told, as you said, by the the two young Chinese um, settler perspectives. Can you tell me Mm. what it is about this specific time period that kind of captured your attention? Uh, I guess originally I wanted to write a book um, about the earlier Chinese in Australia. And I know they came over earlier in other capacities or for other gold rushes. Um, But I wanted to write about Queensland in the end. I did look at Victoria, but Queensland in the end. I guess what's interesting, so that that was the first um, step was finding some, you know, the earlier sort of Chinese migrants. Um, I guess it was an interesting period because it is pre-white Australia policy, but it kind of, you can see what kind of led into um, the, you know, the the, make, the development of the white Australia policy and, and the attitudes. Um, and like you said, most of the narratives we know about that time are from a white settler point of view. So what I've tried to do is maybe take um, even primary source um, primary sources, and what I've tried to do is skewed it from a Chinese point of view. So the Chinese, how the Chinese might have seen the same things um, coming newly to Australia. Yeah, I'm interested when you are working in that kind of historical fiction area. What, what's your, what is that research process like for you? Oh, massive! <laughs> Takes a long time. Luckily, I already had a grounding in the Victorian period mm-hmm. because I um, had written um, some crime novels set in Victorian London, so I already had that grounding. And I mean, that 
already had taken a long time to sort of accumulate. Um, for this novel in particular, I mean, it included visiting, um, you know, like Bendigo and Ballarat and all the, the fabulous museums in Melbourne to do with immigration and the gold rush and the Chinese. Um, and, of course, then I also... Um, travelled up to Cooktown and Maytown and had um, a look there at their museums and the area where the Chinese lived. Um, and then you're looking at, um, I guess you're looking at non-fiction and fiction. The non-fiction would include works like by Claire Wright and um, and Eric Rolls, but also, like I said, primary sources. So you're going back to sort of, you're reading like how they actually saw it at the time. The, the area and their attitudes. Um, and then fiction, I guess you've got Thea Astley, Rose Tremaine, whoever had written, uh, Ruth Park had written about that period as well. Obviously, um, from a different point of view, uh, you know, like you said, more maybe from a white settler point of view, but, um, but to give you, you know, a taste of what the area was like at the time. Mm. So, and, you know, and then there was also, I met a man who was a grand great-grandson, I think, of one of the one of the shopkeepers, the Chinese shopkeepers in Maytown, one of the original ones. So that was interesting. So um, so I guess you just try to cover everything, TV shows, everything. <laughs> I also read or listened to in another interview that you did that uh, you consulted with the, uh, the local First Nations people there, the Yalanji people, um, because obviously they're portrayed in the book um, to some degree. Can you tell me a little bit about what that I suppose, consultation looked like? Um, well, first, of course, I contacted them um, before I went up there and um, told them about my project and they were interested. And when I went, um, I went and met the CEO and we discussed um, the book I was writing. I asked permission for writing about a couple of things um, because when, you know, originally it was just going to be sort of like a simple love story between a Chinese boy and uh, a white Australian girl. Um, but once you do the research, you realise, you know, in the sort of historical context, um, it was important to to acknowledge what happened to the, the Gugu Yalanji people of the area. But of course... On the other hand, like, I didn't want to appropriate any any stories either, so I had to really think um, clearly about how I was going to write about what happened up there. Um, so I, I asked his permission for um, if I could write about the violence um, and, you know, and if I, you know, to write about the fear that the Chinese felt for, for the local Aboriginal people, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and then they saw the finished product um, and that was sort of passed on to the elders. And, um, and yeah, and then so I'm very grateful to them for their time. I'd, I'd love to talk um, about some of the characters in the book. You've obviously got Ying, Lai Yue um, and Mariam as the three perspectives in which the story is told through. Can you talk to us about the, these characters? Sure. Um, okay, so Ying, originally, like I said, it was going to be a... Um, I wanted it to be like a Eurasian love story, mm. um, see how it might have flourished in that sort of um, colonial period. Um, but I I think what happened is I just... I like to write about 
women. And so I I decided that maybe Ying, there's no way, if she was travelling with her brother, there was no way she could have come as a girl at mm. the time. Um, the Chinese didn't allow it. The Australians didn't love it. Um, it was rough, you know, so she disguises herself as a boy. So some of the research was into um, how women... Um, did disguise themselves even in the military for many years. So I looked into that. It was very interesting. But mostly I think for Ying, I wanted her to be that sort of um, adventurous, curious character, like that um, that sort of just gets on with things. She's adaptable as compared to, say, Lai Ye, who is more... Um, he doesn't trust the terrain. He doesn't trust this new country. Things are going wrong. Um, yeah, so um, Laya has more, and he has more, um, I guess, responsibility than Ying does anyway as the eldest son of the family and, you know, and their, you know, the losses at home, which force them to go, you know, to the gold rush, um, really affects how he sees himself. And, um, and, and originally when I was reading up on the history of the Chinese here, I wrote, I read just one, um, sentence about a, a Chinese shepherd who was alone in Victoria and what happened to him. And it was just one sentence, but it kind of gave me the whole sort of arc of, um, of Laya's story. So mm-hmm. that's where Laya comes from. And Miriam, she's probably mostly made up, but I've come to realise with time that actually she's, she represents my mum's from, you know, Irish English background and it, she represents all those stories I've probably heard growing up about um, you know, the where the eldest daughter disappears for a while, you know, and then the mum comes back with a new baby that's their youngest sibling, but actually you realise it was probably the eldest daughter's those those sort of stories that go through families from those you know, those times when illegit um, you know, when you couldn't you couldn't keep a baby um, that you'd had out of wedlock. So I guess um, I realised later that's probably where her story came from, from all these stories I'd heard on that side of the family. And also um, because my crime fiction is about a courtesan in the Victorian period, I had also done a lot of research on what, um, I guess, caused women in those days to have to turn turn to sex work um, you know, through no other sort of um, areas that they could turn to. Mm. Yeah. I suppose just on that, I think it's um, something that's so striking about reading this book and about reading historical fiction is that it feels so relevant to to today. Like, obviously, this is kind of set 150 years ago, but, you know, the taboos uh, around sex work and how these, you know, women are ostracised um, is, uh, you know, it kind of speaks to maybe to a lesser extent, but to what's going on today. And, yeah, it just makes me think how things have changed, but things also haven't changed that much. Which is, yeah, that is, that's so true. That's actually in my notes. That's what I, I think is important to maybe, or for me, to show in historical fiction is um, that some things have improved but maybe not enough, especially to do with, say, feminist issues or, or racism. Mm. Um, I, you know, and especially, yeah, with the, especially with those two, two themes, I, um, I like to show that, you know, as shocking as it might have been, um, we might still need to look at ourselves now. And then I guess you're looking at those 
um, ideas in a sort of safer sort of area, which is in the past, you know, you're not sort of having a good hard look at yourself now. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, just on that, the um, I suppose the everyday kind of blatant racism that a lot of the Chinese people faced in Maytown is, is really explicit in the book. But, you know, I think it also really uh, kind of shows the beginnings of that more organised structural racism um, that Australia unfortunately has had and, and still has mm. in its racist policies, um, you know, like the, the heavy taxation. Um, can you talk a little bit mm. about that? Well, um so yes, they the Chinese. So in the in the novel, I've even shown, um, and I wouldn't usually do this, but like the some of like Clem and Dermot and that have accents. And what I've tried to show is that, as, is that these these Irish and um, Scottish characters who are white are just as new to Australia as the Chinese and the Swedish and the Germans and everyone who came here, and yet they weren't taxed as heavily as the Chinese. So there was already you know that sort of. Uh, racism underneath, like you said. Um, so, and the Chinese were taxed. I mean, it was a lot of money. It was it was equivalent to thousands now, you know. And they'd have to borrow money or or um, work it off here. So a lot of it was actually like trafficking. Um, and the Chinese did uh, did recognise that they were being um, unfairly treated because they did often or not often, a couple of times petitioned the government, you know, complaining that they had to pay these taxes that other people didn't. And on top of that, they had a treaty, like with Britain and China, had treaties that their people would be treated fairly and well um, in each other's countries, um, and yet it wasn't being um, sort of, you know, happening in Australia, mm. um, whereas they had to treat, you know, um, British people fairly in China, say, you know. Um, so they were aware, which I've tried to show with Aki, I think, when he's complaining a bit earlier in the book, you mm. know, I've tried to show that they were aware of, you know, of the racism. But also I did try to show that um, it's it's really surprising. I know it shouldn't be surprising to me, but it is surprising to me that even just that sort of uh, level of racism to individuals that that is still prevalent now, especially maybe lately, um, it, it still just surprises me. And obviously, there are still pockets of people who 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 still think like they they probably did in the eighteen seventies. You know, they haven't um, necessarily moved on. Like we, you know. Anyway, so I always find that very surprising too. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, mm-hmm. I, I suppose, not something that I'm shocked by, but, yeah, it's definitely that kind of mm, moment where you're just like, this is unfortunately so relevant to mm. today, even though this was set 150 years ago. If, yeah, and it's the same, sorry, it's no. the same fears that feed it, you know. It's the same fears of losing work and contamination and um, losing maybe land and everything. Yeah, it's the same fears that feed um, the discrimination or the racism. Yeah, mm. ab- yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's definitely something that I was thinking about, the kind of similar racist rhetorics that um, a lot of white settlers in Australia still have, uh, I suppose, about uh, people coming to this country and taking over jobs and the sheer number of people and all of those things, I think, yeah, can really feel... I, I really feel that echoed in the book. And, yeah, it unfortunately still seems to, to highlight those kind of racist sentiments that are still mm. really, unfortunately, prevalent in our society. Mm. Yeah, I was a bit worried this year when um, 
you know, when the book came out, I thought, oh, gosh, I've written this book about the Chinese, um, you know, sympathetically, I guess, you know, and um, it was at the, obviously, at the beginning of the pandemic. But then a couple of people pointed out, well, maybe it's it's a good time for people to be reminded to think of the individuals, not, you know, not this whole... Because, you know, like in the gold rush, people, you know, the Chinese were just the Chinese, you know, who came mm. over in the, in the gold rush. It wasn't individuals, which is what I've tried to show. So I guess I think, you know, it's probably a good thing to remember now too, you know, when we, um, when we you know look at what's happening at the moment. Mm. Absolutely. If you have just joined us, we are chatting with Mirandi Rewo about her latest novel, Stone Sky, Gold Mountain. Mirandi, I'd love to uh, talk a little bit about what you just touched on about, you know, releasing a book in 2020. You know, this mm-hmm. came out um, earlier this year. How is it, um, how's this experience been for you, I suppose, in comparison to other work that you've put out? Um, I guess, I guess like everyone we've, had disappointments this year um i i mean at the beginning i think i i had one of the first i had the first um book launch on zoom (laughs) because even up to like three days before because it was end of march even up to three days before it was still maybe going to go ahead you know it just became less and less people who could come to the who could come to the venue um so that was quite disappointing and of course um, well, just look at the, the state of um, the arts or, or the writers' centres and everything. I mean, so much has been cancelled this year. So there's there's been a bit of a disappointment. I have to say, um, although the Zoom, I think the Zoom um, things like launches and panels and everything um, have been good because we can actually then, um, I guess, communicate or, or tie in with other states, which normally, like even, say, my launch um people from victoria were sort of online where they wouldn't have been at my actual launch you know Mm. so i think some good has come from it too but i mean it is very disappointing too that i don't get to spruik the book i guess you know like at at, um at writers festivals and that sort of thing Mm. but um so it's been quieter than other years I'm hopeful for next year, <laughs> but um, I, I think, and luckily I think people are reading, you know, they're, they're at home more and maybe reading, so I'm not, I'm not sure, but I think maybe that's how it's been too, mm. which is good as well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, mm. and I do, I love that, what you just mentioned about how you can kind of interact with your readers across states and perhaps across countries mm. when you do have... Um, things online so yeah I suppose it's a silver lining to to the mess that is 2020. Um, (laughs) Mirandi it's been such a pleasure talking to you Uh, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Yeah thank you for having me. That was Mirandi Ruo there we were talking all about her new work of historical fiction Stone Sky Gold Mountain. Uh, It is out now through UQP. Highly recommend picking up a copy if you are looking for a lockdown read. It's um, definitely one to sink your teeth into. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. Uh, I'm excited to have my next guest joining me on the line. 
Braided is a podcast that threads together the intimate, challenging and triumphant stories of a group of young people from diverse cultural backgrounds who are living with difficult life circumstances. In its second season, The Sound of Braided is under lockdown. It is a six-part season and it follows the show's makers as they share the frustrations of their buzzing fridges, the saving grace of Animal Crossing and the peculiar camaraderie of this solitary time. Joining me to speak about it this afternoon are the hosts Matisse Leider and Agum Maloch. Thank you both so much for your time. Hello. It is so, so nice to, to hear from you both. Um, I've been absolutely loving listening to this season this week. Um, I suppose to start with, I'd love to hear just a little bit about what this experience has been like for you. Agum, I know that you've been involved in this, um, in this podcast for perhaps maybe a little bit longer, but yeah, tell us what it's been like. Um, oh, it's been... <laughs> been a very interesting um, time and experience for me. Um, so the first season was quite different uh, compared to this now. Uh, this is completely different. And uh, it's been an experience I could, you know, be really thankful for. Uh, and I'm actually really thankful for. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, can, I cannot put a proper way to put it together but it's it's been a really powerful inspirational um strengthening experience for me mm. what, about, mm. what about you matisse yeah i second that being a part of artful dodgers and being a part of braided for me has been a saving grace during this time to have that community there when i needed them and to also learn so much and be a part of such an amazing project with so many amazing and beautiful people. Yeah, I, I again, I don't have any words to describe how, how grateful I am for the whole, for everyone at Awful Dodgers and everyone who's a part of Braided. Mm. And you mm. can really hear that, I suppose, sense of community come through in the finished product, which I think is really beautiful. And I, I love how, I think it's in the first episode, you speak about exactly what you're talking about now, that it's become more than a podcast and it's really become a community of, of people that have kind of gotten through um, what is, you know, a really kind of difficult and, and, and challenging year. Um, I'd love to talk, I suppose, a little bit more about um, the the making of it. I know that you've gone through um, a series of workshops and kind of learning, you know, the ins and outs of podcasting. Can you, can you talk us through uh, a little bit more about that process? Well, yeah, yeah, you go, go, you go, go. You talk. Get out of the yogurt. Um, it's uh, yeah, just being able, uh, learning so much, learning so so much. I've always wanted to make a podcast. Like Agum says, I can talk. So, um, <laughs> being able to see what happens behind the scenes and learn, uh, especially with my mentor Joel and Michelle and Louise, everyone who's a part of the making of the producing. It's been so eye-opening, and I'm so excited to even in next season, like get better at the stuff behind the scenes and like learn the producing part of it all. It's been so amazing. Mm -hmm. Gives you something to do. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I think for me as well, I think 
uh, when I think about our first season, it was something like I, I didn't know much about podcasting and podcast. So when the first season uh, was in the process, I was not, you know, I was very excited about the um, what I'm doing and and the stories uh, I was listening to. Um, but it, it just something more came out of me, like in the sense that I, I am really like enjoying and becoming a, a com- like a community with these individuals. Mm. And, and it makes it so special, like mm. from the participants to uh, producers to myself. I, yeah, it, it's really a learning experience. Mm. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Something that I've really loved about listening to this, uh, the first few episodes of this season is almost like the the peek behind the curtain of, of the making of it, um, you know, mm. perhaps in a way that's, you know, I don't know, necessary or it's different in these circumstances, the way that we would make podcasts. But, um, you know, just like the, even playing the tape from various workshops and kind of showing your learnings and early conversations around your story meetings and things like that, I found really um really beautiful and humbling and it is really vulnerable to kind of share learnings and kind of share your journey as it's happening and I just really um, I really loved that and I wanted to know a little bit more about I suppose you're thinking around putting the you know putting the episodes together and and how you kind of decided on on the content of the of the podcast this season I think we just wanted it to be really raw mm. you know we wanted people to ourselves. see yeah, just completely ourselves, vulnerable, um, and to see even like when listening to the episodes, to see the progression from when we first started recording and the practice interviews and to the finished product. It's it's so important to see the steps and it's it, it gives people such a view of it's yeah it was it was I loved it so much and <laughs> I'm so glad that you love it too, Beth. Mm. And I hope everyone listens. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's been, it's been really special to listen to. And I, you know, in the first episode, you kind of explore the ways that you feel more connected and the ways that you feel less connected during this time. And I could absolutely relate to some of the things that were spoken about. Um, I know that there was uh, talk of animal crossing as a way to feel more connected. <laughs> um, and I was like, yes, please tell me about this. I keep hearing about it. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to know, I suppose, for you, you see this as a way that has kept you, I suppose, more connected during these last couple of months? It, it did. Um, it did. Uh, the story meetings, um, seeing everybody's face every... Um, so it, is, it was really special. So, yeah, it, it had really brought us together as a community and also as uh, part of the um, Artful Dodgers studios. So, yeah. And I suppose for people that might not have made a podcast before, when you say story meeting, what what does that mean? Well, on Wednesdays, we'd meet at 10.30 and it would be like a workshop. You came on once, Bethany, (laughs) and talked to us about hosting and we've had like the ethics of interviewing, just workshops around uh, the making of a podcast. And then on Fridays... Um, it would just be the group and we would meet and as, as it said in an episode, yeah, it was like group therapy. We just sat there and talked and unpacked how we were all feeling and it was, it was so important and I, I cherished those meetings a lot and I still do. Had one to this morning. It was lovely. (laughs) And I can say too, um, with those meetings, I, 
I discovered that I had become really close with uh, the, some of the participants even mm -hmm. prior to the, the first season. I, I feel more closer to them, even though we're not that, you know, physically close. Um, so, yeah, we, it, it really somehow brought us together. Mm. in a very mm. unique way yeah it can I think having that kind of purpose and that joint uh, purpose throughout this time it seems like it's been an important anchor for a lot of people I think with different projects um, yeah I, I really loved how um, you know in I can't remember which episode it was in but you were kind of talking about the sound of lockdown and what that sounds like and I think it was Michelle that was talking about uh, her relationship with her fridge and I was like wow yes I can relate to this um, yeah. I'd be interested to poor know Michelle. <laughs> poor Michelle poor Joel and their fridges <laughs> I know I've never felt more grateful for the door at least they have fr fridges I have I two boys here driving me nuts a little but you know <laughs> I think I'll take the fridge <laughs> Yeah. Do you have any other, um, I suppose, sounds that have soundtracked your kind of lockdown over this period? I've just been listening to music, listening mm. to music, the birds outside, Ugh, just sitting in my garden and listening to nature has just been so important and so grounding. Um, I'm lucky I live outside of the house, so I do not hear my fridge, thank God. <laughs> but it was very, it was very uh, funny listening to Michelle and Joel speak on that at length. <laughs> well, for me, it's, it's actually a little bit different. It's quite opposite. Uh, I live right in the city, so Brunswick Street, where there's trams and people screaming every now and then, um, yes. pubs and all that. It, right now, there's none of that. It, I barely hear a tram, and believe it or not, I kind of like that. I am not hearing anything as much. So, but generally, I would hear people conversing downstairs um, in the park, and yeah, it was it was a bit difficult. So I'm going the opposite. Um, I like the quietness of it. Mm. Sad to say. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can I can definitely relate to that. Um, yeah. I, I know that you've uh, you just released another episode today and you've I think you've released three so far out of the six. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a little uh, glimpse into what the rest of the, the season holds? Um, well, the episode that was released today is actually with Mary and I and we speak on uh, being black woman, uh, navigating a share house dynamic, navigating COVID through Black Lives Matter, um, um, we speak on racism, we speak on so many important uh, topics. So the episode that's coming out today is like very uh, vulnerable for me. Um, we talk to Reggie, we talk, we talk, we, I think every episode we just touch in with practically everybody. And um, the next episode after that is Kim, and she's talking about uh, her cultural heritage and speaking on incense. It's, it's, beautiful all of the episodes I think there's a couple like a there's six in total so yeah got a fair few to go it's, it's a journey so it's you mm. you're up for a journey so that's mm. all we can say it's just a a very an explored journey mm. yeah I love that and I definitely feel like I'm getting to know each person in a different way like I'm dying to know what's happening with Reggie's love life like that was that was touched on <laughs> same <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yes, I was like, yes, this is very exciting. Um, I loved that. I just, yeah, I would just say I feel like this season is um, 
it's it, it feels like this really uh, beautiful kind of pertinent time capsule to these last six months, which I suppose is very different from like having a little bit of involvement in the first season. And I think it's um yeah, it's it's a pretty amazing thing to come out of a really a really tough time. Is that is that something that you feel as well? Completely agree with that. Uh, it, 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 yesterday I was just sitting there and I was thinking, oh my goodness, what an amazing you know experience! I cannot wait for this to be over so that we can all gather around and give each other a very big hug mm. and and just sit together and converse and and mm. celebrate this um, you know this experience together so yeah yeah it's a moment in history you know COVID-19 hopefully it never happens again (laughs) so um touch wood yeah touch wood I'm touching wood right now um yeah it is it's it is exactly what you said it's like a time capsule like in in 10 years I want to listen to this again and be like wow I remember when I thought lockdown was over and (laughs) it wasn't (laughs) but now it is so yeah um I definitely agree um, yeah, I think it is a, a really special, yeah, as you said, time capsule of this uh, these last six months. And yeah, I just, I, I've absolutely been loving listening to it. And I very much encourage anybody listening to download Braided on wherever you get your podcasts from. Um, I know that you um, briefly mentioned that, you know, there are things that you'd want to learn going forward in a potential next season of Braided. Um, what, I suppose, what are some of those things? I know that you've both been doing a fabulous job hosting. Is there anything else that you're looking to, I suppose, learn in, you know, a, the future iteration of this project? Um, for me, uh, I think prior to COVID situation, we had a plan, me and um, my um, producer, Jay, mm-hmm. um, we the plan was to get my hands on things. So to, to try and learn how to put everything together um, mm-hmm. in, in more abstract ways. But because of COVID, we haven't been able to meet um, and actually do any of that. So definitely next time we will get to do more um, behind, you know, computer side of things. Mm-hmm. Same, same. I I want to get up. I want to get my producing skills. I I'm not very. I'm technically challenged, so I have a lot to learn in that area. But I really want to because poor Joel's been editing everything, and Michelle, they've all been editing. I want to be more hands on deck and figure out how to how to edit all the audio and stuff like that. But I've, yeah, I've learned so much even, like this is my first experience hosting and recording anything. So any, it's just up from here, hopefully. The more you know, the better. I'm very excited for next season. Absolutely. And I, I would just say that hosting is like an amazing grounding for, you know, going in, into your editing journey next. So you're very much um, already on the on the pathway. We're in the right path. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I have done some bit of editing with uh, Jay before, but yeah, I'll definitely want to explore that more. Yeah, in the workshops, tried a little bit. <laughs> it's exciting. There's so many kind of different aspects of the, you know, podcast making to learn and it's really mm. exciting to hear that there's more ways that, uh, you know, we can all kind of grow going forward. So I'd love that. Um, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you both so much uh, for your time this afternoon. We're just going to go out with a, a little snippet of Braided. Oh, Thanks. thank you so much, Beth. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. 
if you have just joined us, we were just chatting there with the hosts of uh, Braided Season 2 podcast, uh, Agum and Matisse. Uh, a really excellent podcast. It is um, a podcast that threads together the intimate, challenging and triumphant stories um, of a group of young people from diverse cultural backgrounds who are living with difficult life circumstances. It is an initiative through the Artful Dodgers studio um, and you can check it out wherever you get your podcasts from. It is called Braided. We're going to take a little snippet of season two right now. We're going to hear from Reggie uh, with Reggie's updates. You're listening to Triple R. It's March, April, May, June, July. This is Reggie's update. Um, it is the 1st of July, 2020. It is 1.46pm. I want to start off today's little note session by talking about empathy and empaths. I consider myself an empath or a highly sensitive person um, and it's not something I take on lightly. I've been reading a book about empaths um, and how empaths tend to tune to people's emotions to real. Like, I, th I think that the biggest thing for me is when I am talking to someone and they're telling me something that's happened in their life that is really painful, I feel their pain too on multiple levels. Like if they are having like a headache or they have neck pain, I can almost feel those pains as well. Um, I went through a lot of trauma when I was younger and I think that it kind of irregulated my emotions a lot and I didn't have a point in time when I could say that these emotions shouldn't take hold of me too much, but I feel like I learnt a lot of a way to block it all out. Um, and I have blocked out a lot of emotions over the years, but, and I feel like those memories tied to those emotions are kind of suppressed, and I feel like a lot of times when I try to do something or try to evoke those memories, they're sealed shut. I think it's more of a self-defense mechanism than anything else. I think that when I go out to nature when there's nothing out there or there's like little like stimuli to stop me from doing what I want to do, I can process my emotions a lot easier and I feel like a lot of the times when it comes to going out to the nature, like I love going to the Yarra Ranges, going to Warrandyte and sitting by the river. That helps so much because I can process my emotions and I can process like the day ins and day outs of my life and also reflect deeply on myself. I find that sometimes when you're in a busy environment like the city, you can't really do that. Well, I can't really do that, I should say. You know, you've just got to keep looking out for new ideas, new ways to process these emotions. And it's come to my realization recently, within the last week, that maybe I should look into, you know, looking how to work as an empath. Um, because, you know, I could be a healer. I could, I could do many good things for the world. But I just need to learn how to take a hold of these emotions that people give me and kind of like turn it into a conductive way that isn't damaging to my own mental health. Um, thank you for listening. This is Reggie's Update. Thank you. Goodbye.
You're listening to Triple R, a snippet there from the brand new season of the Braided Podcast. That one is a creation uh, by an amazing group of young makers. It's an, an initiative through the Artful Dodgers studio in Collingwood. I highly recommend checking it out wherever you do get your podcasts from. It is the perfect company for being in lockdown. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website.